After being tested multiple times at home, the first major road test of the season is 64.3 miles away. It is time for the yearly renewal of what former Michigan Wolverines broadcaster Bob Eufer once called Athens versus Sparta, or better known as Michigan versus Michigan State. Welcome to episode 8 of Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm your host, Andrew Hammond, assistant sports editor at the Detroit Free Press. On this journey, we're taking you game by game, week by week, to give you the inside look at how the 1997 Michigan Wolverines captured their share of a national title. On a gray, late October day, Michigan and Michigan State renewed one of college sports' most intense in-state rivalries inside Spartan Stadium. Despite Michigan State's loss a week before to Northwestern, there was little luster lost for the high noon showdown. So much so that ESPN's College Game Day made the trip to East Lansing for the first time in the show's history. A top 15 matchup, a rivalry game, it is the perfect backdrop for something special and iconic to happen. If you want the complete story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines, the Free Press is publishing a commemorative book. Hail Yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines can be purchased at um.pictorial.mybook.com. While Michigan was undefeated and ranked in the top five in the country, this trip to East Lansing presented a little trepidation. Michigan State had closed the gap on the Wolverines beginning in the late 1980s. In fact, Michigan hadn't won in East Lansing since 1991. But it was 1990's game that is perhaps the most heartbreaking for Michigan. Ranked number one in the country, the Wolverines were stunned by the unranked Spartans 28-27 in a game known as number one first no one. As for Michigan State entering 1997, they were coached by Nick Saban, the former MSU assistant who had also spent some time in the NFL. When Saban took over at Michigan State in 1995, the Spartans had not had a winning season since 1990. Saban's magic or the process of how he runs a program was on full display as he took the Spartans to bowl games in 95 and 96, which filled Spartan fans with hope and optimism for 1997. Ranked in the top 25 to start the season, the Spartans rattled off five straight wins until a surprising loss to Northwestern just a week before. Still, Michigan State isn't a Big Ten slouch. They've got a really good team that could still present problems for the Wolverines. Michigan State's got a solid running game with running back Cedric Irvin and the Big Ten's second-best defense. Who's number one, you ask? The Michigan Wolverines. When we come back, I am joined by Terry Foster, Detroit sports media icon. We break down Michigan versus Michigan State after the break. This is Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. 
Welcome back to Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm your host, Andrew Hammond, and this week I am joined by Terry Foster, writer, radio host, one of the great pillars of Detroit sports media. Terry, welcome to the show, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, I can't wait. <laughs> Absolutely. We we appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, first off, I'm not a Michigan native, uh, and I didn't go to either Michigan or Michigan State. So uh, for someone who has viewed this rivalry uh, from the outside looking in, can you offer me some perspective on what this rivalry means to people in the state? Uh, this, is, this is family getting together and not agreeing uh, for this one day of the year. Um, you know, and, and this game was reflective of that. You can tell they just don't like each other. Um, you know, Michigan State plays pissed off whenever they play Michigan. And so I, I think that was reflective in this game. But I think the difference is Michigan had too much talent and um, was able to win an ugly game. And this game was reflective of, of a lot of Michigan games uh, that season. I mean, after every game, I left. I, I said, you know, this team is not that good. We're, we're, you know, they might win the Big Ten. Maybe they'll beat Ohio State or something, but that's about it. But I just didn't think they were the, – the defense was great. I mean, you had Charles Woodson and Marcus Ray and, and a bunch of other guys on there. So, uh, But I just thought the overall product was I, – I didn't think it was going to be national championship worthy. For sure, and because they they've had so many close calls, and you're thinking, you know, and this is, and you hate even saying even now with Michigan, even though they made the playoff, there were there were times that even in the Harbaugh era where they went on runs, and then you just expected the the trip up somewhere along the road. So was that kind of the same thing? Even in '97, you're looking at this Michigan team and you're thinking to yourself, they're going to trip up somewhere. We I know it in my heart of hearts, they're going to trip up somewhere. Well, they probably would have tripped up if they had to play a team outside the Big Ten. But the fact that it was all Big Ten schools, and I you know I'm just one of those bad guys that doesn't think the Big Ten is that strong every year you got to worry about Ohio State if you're Michigan you have to worry about Michigan State because Michigan State like I said they always play with anger and they take that game way more seriously than Michigan does so they have to worry about that and then every blue moon somebody could beat Michigan in the Big Ten but for the most part Michigan should win 90 percent of the games they play in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State Michigan State and Penn State Gotcha. Speaking of of Michigan State, what do you remember about that Michigan State team that season? Uh, they were a year away from that monumental upset. I would even argue a program changing upset over Ohio State in November of 1998. That would essentially put them on the national scene or begin to put them back on the national scene. But at the time, did you think they were quote unquote close to being a contender in the Big Ten? Yeah, I thought they were close. And they had some really tough guys on there. And uh, Nick Saban was a, a, a coach on there. So, you know, they listened to him. Uh, I really appreciated the um, toughness of Ike Reese, who was a um, linebacker. Cedric Irving was a tough guy playing quarterback, uh, uh, not quarterback, but running back. 
So they're a bunch of tough dudes. May not have been the most talented brothers in the world, but, I mean, they'd smack you in the face. And uh, that was a team that thought that they could wear Michigan down. They thought that they were the tougher team. And I tell you what, they tried to punk uh, Brian Greasy. You know, Brian Greasy had some problems early in there. I think he broke a window and had some disciplinary problems. So they thought that maybe he was mentally soft. So every time they got, every chance they got, they tried to tap him. And we're hoping that at some point he would get up and want to, you know, give up. But I, I talked to Greasy later because we hung out at the the NFL media party that they have. And he said, I don't know what they're talking about. He said, I don't know if they know this, but my dad did play in the NFL, so they weren't going to punk me. <laughs> <laughs> well, on to the game. Uh, following an opening field goal by Michigan, it would be Michigan State using some trickery to score the game's first touchdown. Here's that call from Frank Beckman and Jim Branstadter of WJR and the Michigan Radio Network. Chris Gardner attempting a 40-yard field goal. It's a fake, and Bill Burke throws to Urban, who's uncovered down the left sideline, and he is in for a Michigan State touchdown. It's, it's sometimes, Frank, and we talked about it, what you don't expect that's going to be the problem. That was a play specifically put in. This time, the receiver lined up right on the sideline. Michigan didn't even see him. They didn't even know he was there. And it was a simple pitch and catch as he lined up way wide away from where the ball was as the wide receiver. Michigan never knew he was there. Terry, I'm I'm fascinated, and I want to get your thoughts on this. There's this strange, uh, some would call hilarious theory of teams pulling off trick plays in big games. It's seen as a coward move sometimes. I think it's a complete lie. To me, it's all about you do what you can to get an advantage, and if you have to take some risks and put together some trick plays to win the game or at least get the advantage early on, you do what you have to do. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, they give you four downs for a reason, so you can use them however you wish. But I, I think in particular with this Michigan State trick play, maybe coaches realized early on they weren't going to they weren't going to score 30 or 40 points, that this was going to be a game decided by one or two plays, and that Michigan's defense put a stranglehold on Michigan State. So State's like, we got to pull something out of our bag of tricks. And, and State has done that before. I mean, when they won, uh, when they had big seasons under Mark D'Antonio, I mean, one of the most famous plays was a little giant. So, I mean, you do what you got to do to win. That's what I've always been taught. Just before the half, the Wolverines marched 95 yards, capping off a drive with a one-yard Brian Greasy touchdown to make the score 10-7 at halftime. When we come back, Michigan looks to protect their lead and a play that changes the course of the Heisman Trophy race along with that person's legacy, and more when we come back to Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. We are back with Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. The Wolverines lead the Spartans 10-7 coming out of halftime, and joining me to break down the game is Detroit sports media legend Terry Foster. 
the Michigan defense would come up big on the first possession of the second half. An Andre Weathers interception would set up Michigan for another field goal to make the score 13-7. After both teams traded punts, perhaps the biggest play of the season so far, and most assuredly, a Heisman shifting play occurs as Michigan State's Todd Schultz drops back to pass. Michigan has eight men up on the line of scrimmage. Schultz back to throw. He's being pressured by Hall. Scrambles out of there. Now has Fazell in his face. Throws. Unbelievable. Made a spectacular interception. And somehow landed with a foot inbounds at the state 21. What a grab by Woodson. If you people can imagine a basketball player going above the rim to get a one-handed rebound above the rim, that's what Woodson did. He cupped the football and brought it down. What a play by Charles Woodson. Man, he just pulled it in with that one arm, and Jimmy had the presence of mind to stay in bounds. He only needed to get one foot down, and Woodson got the one foot down inbounds. The referee was right there on it and marked it Michigan ball all the way. Charles Woodson's one-handed interception. Terry, take me back to what you remember about that moment. I, I, I've always known Charles Woodson to be a big guy, but I never thought that he could get up that high. Now they said he was his hand was was 15 feet in the in the air. That sounds like an exaggeration. I would say that's pretty accurate. And actually that play got me in trouble because uh at the time um the free press sent me to Indianapolis or was that the news at the time? I don't know. Anyway, I went to Indianapolis to do a story on Peyton Manning. And so Peyton Manning lost to Woodson in the Heisman race so he asked me who did i vote for and i said charles woodson so he was like a little bit perturbed and i said <laughs> i said, I said if, y- if y'all had won more games and uh, not choked on games and I, and I mentioned this play i said charles woodson made a play that i don't think anybody else in football at the time can make so um that play uh swayed me punt return against ohio state and just the fact that you could not pass the football anywhere near this man because he was fast, he was strong, and he was huge, too. I thought Charles Woodson, first time I, I, I kind of met him, I didn't know it was him. I said, well, he's supposed to be a D-back. I thought he was like a, a linebacker or a Russian or something <laughs> like that. That's how big he is. And so um, – so that play got me in trouble with Peyton Manning, but that's okay. I stand by my Heisman vote. You know, when when Woodson picks up that iconic interception, did you automatically think that he was the front runner for the Heisman at that point? Because at, you know, Peyton, as you had mentioned, Peyton Manning lost to Florida, so that was really the one game that was his like quote unquote legacy, but nobody really had emerged at that point and so Woodson gets the interception it's the highlight play everybody sees it and now you know we talk about Heisman moments in 2022 but in 1997 that's really a Heisman moment so I wonder from from your perspective did you automatically put Woodson at your Heisman ballot at that point um in my ballot, yes, 
But I still didn't think he was going to win because in my lifetime, I never saw a defensive player win. And Peyton Manning hype was so huge at that time. You know, he had his dad was a great quarterback. Peyton Manning was getting lots of national news. I still thought it was Peyton Manning's to lose. I still think thought he was the front runner despite Charles Woodson creating a play I'd never seen before. And the Heisman is not always about your accomplishments on the field. A lot of it is PR. A lot of it is, you know, what you see. And yeah, that was a great play by Woodson. But I, I just thought that the Manning hype and the Manning family hype was so great that it was going to be hard for Charles Woodson to overcome that. You know, it's it, it's crazy how everybody kind of assumed that it was going to be Peyton Manning's. Because it, it, sometimes the Heisman, it, 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 it does feel like a lifetime achievement award for some quarterbacks. And you're, you're just kind of conditioned – for them to get it and and of course that that would change with with Woodson's Heisman but uh, before that Woodson would go on to pick up yet another interception and of course that would lead to yet another Michigan field goal Michigan would tack on 10 points in the final quarter to win a 23-7 runaway over the Spartans Charles Woodson and Marcus Ray each collected two interceptions in the game and in total Michigan State threw six interceptions. That was tied for the most of a Michigan opponent since Miami in 1984. There were some tough tests ahead for Michigan in 1997, but this team appears to be on track for uh, of the handful of teams that could contend for a national title. You made a point earlier, even after the Michigan State game, you didn't believe in this team, so I'm I'm, I'm pretty fascinated on, uh, on what you thought about that Michigan team at that point, undefeated, heading into uh, November, a very difficult November. You have to understand, I was a lot younger and maybe a little bit dumb at the time, <laughs> but I mean, I was looking for sexy, mm-hmm. and I didn't see sexy in this team. Um, when I, I, I talked to a lot of opponents of Michigan that year and the year before and everything, and believe it or not, here's what they thought. Punch them in the face, and they're going to give up. Talent, they have more talent than, than us, but we're going to smack them, and we're going to see how they respond. Well, Michigan State smacked them, and, and Michigan is like, cool. <laughs> so they just kept on, you know, they, they kept on responding, got stronger as the game went on, and kind of punish Michigan State a little bit. Amazing how that works. It is amazing how that works. And and, and for Michigan State, you know, they're a team that is they're they're emerging, and it feels like at that point, because you kind of talked about it a little earlier, they thought they were good enough to beat this team, and they thought that they could make Brian Greasy fold. You talked about Brian Greasy a little bit, and I wanted to touch on that some some more. It seems like there's, coming off of the Iowa game where he makes this comeback, it seems like he is definitely emerging as a true leader on this team. And instead of it being a game management situation, he's in the direction of follow me, this is where we're going to go, 
lead, go as I go. This team is going to go as far as I go. When you see the emergence of Brian Greasy from from his off-field issues up into 1997, just uh, just talk about your, your thoughts and, and opinions on what he meant to that team. I was proud of Brian Greasy because I knew at some point, not only did he have to believe in himself, but he had to get teammates to believe in him. Um, guys are like, okay, our quarterback might be talented, but he's a clown. And we have high aspirations and not sure if this is the guy that can carry us there. But then he won them over. And then I think the mentality was nobody else can lead us there, but this guy. So, uh, he had to do a lot of work in the dressing room uh, to convince people that he was the guy. Then he, then you go out there and perform. It didn't, did not have to be spectacular because at Michigan, you run that football and don't turn it over. And uh, what Bre- Greasy did is he made the right plays at the right time. And if you are a part of Michigan football and you can't hang, hang on to the pill, you're on the bench. So uh, whether you're a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, doesn't matter. And so Greasy uh, managed a good game. He managed the uh, dressing room, and then um, he won a national title. But if you know, if it was my son, I would say, I'm proud of you because I know you overcame a lot. As Michigan dominated Michigan State, the coming weeks and months would begin to take shape across the college football landscape. Later on that afternoon, in Pac-10 country, the Washington State Cougars and Arizona Wildcats put on a wild shootout that resulted in a 35-34 overtime victory for the Cougars. While Washington State was becoming a player in the Pac-10 race, things are shaping up around the country as well. Nebraska and Florida State, along with Michigan, picked up victories so nothing changes in the polls the following week. In both the AP and coaches polls, the order reads as is. Nebraska at number one, Penn State at number two, Florida State at number three, Michigan at number four, and North Carolina at number five. All five are undefeated, only for a few more weeks. In just two weeks, two games featuring two top five matchups marks an all-important point in the 1997 season, but that's in two weeks. Before we go, our guest has been Terry Foster. Game audio has been provided by WJR and the Michigan Radio Network. Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford are the executive producers of this podcast. Kerry Jr. II provides technical support. Peter Batia is the editor of the Detroit Free Press. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Road to the Victors on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming app of choice. And find us at freep.com slash podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a rating, and tell your friends about us. It really does help. For more information on the 1997 Michigan team, pre-order the book, Hail Yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines at Freep.com. I'm Andrew Hammond, and we'll see you next week.